Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you've got your Bibles open to James 3, I hope that you'll stay there because we'll be staying in the book of James for most of our time to study tonight. I do want to make one quick comment, though, before we get into our study. Several of our college students will be traveling to Italy on Wednesday this week, and this will be the last time that we have a chance to worship with them before they leave. There's something like 18 of our group total going on the trip. Not all of them are here because they'll go straight from their homes to Atlanta to the airport to uh, fly away tomorrow. But several of them are here tonight. So if you get a chance, try to swing by this side of the building on your way out. Uh, try to figure out which ones maybe you're leaving. I'll leave that up to you. Um, I have a hard time keeping it straight myself. Uh, but make sure you let these guys know that we appreciate them and we'll miss them for the next uh, three months. They'll be gone. Uh, might be nice to have a little breather for three months. Uh, but we'll be glad when you guys get back for sure. But James chapter 3, our topic for tonight is the wisdom from above, and I feel like I need to make a quick but very important qualifier here at the start. I did not choose tonight to talk about the wisdom from above because I consider myself an expert in wisdom, and I don't think that comes as a shock to literally anyone sitting in this building tonight. Um, but we do want to make sure that we talk about this wisdom in the right vein. I was talking with Randy earlier this week about a little bit of concern of wanting to speak from James chapter 3, 13 to 18, but also feeling inadequate to deliver a message titled about wisdom. <laughs> uh, but Randy helped me make a very uh, good distinction here to say that wisdom comes from two places. It comes from experience and it comes from God, namely the word of God and from prayer. So tonight I'm certainly not going to claim to have a vast amount of either type of wisdom, but certainly not the experiential wisdom that most of our older Christians here in the room will have tonight, but we can all look at God's word together. No matter what level of experiential wisdom we think we might have, we can all address what James has to say about wisdom in chapter 3. So tonight then, our goal is to figure out what it is James says really makes for wisdom, or at least wisdom that comes from above here in chapter 3. And I want to make a small note to mention that this is actually a personal topic for me. When I walked on this campus about 10 years ago as a freshman in college, plan, planning to go into ministry, preparing to be a Bible student, I thought very hard about passages like James chapter 3 in verse 1 where he says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that those of us who are teachers will incur a stricter judgment. And those thoughts, I think, weigh heavily on the heart of anyone who teaches a Bible class or of anyone who aspires to be in a ministerial office, certainly. 
And I used to think about passages like you would see in James chapter 1, where James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him pray to God who gives generously to all. But let the one who asks, ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose to receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So as an 18-year-old preparing to go into ministry, I would pray often for wisdom. But I think when I prayed for wisdom, I didn't really know what I was asking for. I was praying to be able to see better into the scriptures so that when I taught, I'd be covered. And so I wouldn't get in trouble for teaching the wrong thing. And certainly that's fine. But as I was praying for wisdom, I was really praying for more knowledge. Maybe knowledge of scripture or maybe even for the knowledge to discern how to apply it. And I know we usually make the distinction Knowledge is like data, and then wisdom is how you apply the data. But I think wisdom, while that's a part of wisdom, James is going to tell us that wisdom is so much more than if I plop you in this situation, can you make the right or wrong decision here? Or if I give you a hypothetical question on a test to say, well, if this and this were to happen, what would you do? And then your answer would determine whether or not you were wise. Scripture says something more. It says that wisdom is something more, and certainly In James chapter 3, if you want to know what James means, in James chapter 1, when he says, pray for wisdom, James gives you a picture of what he believes the wisdom from above looks like in chapter 3. It is something that is first pure, and then peaceable, and then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's something much deeper. There are eight characteristics of this wisdom And I'm breaking every last rule that I learned in preaching school by using eight points in a sermon. But if you don't tell Dr. Gleaves, I won't either. And we should all stay out of trouble. But if you'll look, primarily this wisdom is pure. In verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure. The idea is that the primary characteristic of this wisdom is that it is Pure. And since this is the primary point, we'll spend a lot more time on this particular point than we will on the others tonight. Why would he say that it is primarily pure? And what exactly do we mean by the wisdom is pure anyway? Does this mean that it's pure in content? Is it pure in its source? Is it pure in its fruit? And the answer to those questions is yes. In contrast to verses 14 and 15, you find that James is drawing a distinction here between the wisdom that is of the earth... And then the wisdom that comes from God. He says, if you are really wise, who is wise and understanding among you? Very similar to what Paul asks the Corinthians. Who among you is wise? You want to know the ones in your number who are really wise and understanding? It's by his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he's going to go ahead and make a very clear distinguishing mark at the very beginning and say, okay, you're not wise just by how much you know in your head. If you want to show everybody you're wise, let him show it by his good conduct in his works and the meekness of wisdom. And he says, basically, don't lie. If you have jealousy, if you have selfish ambition in your heart, he actually says bitter jealousy. If these things are what reside in your heart, then don't boast and be false to the truth because this is not the wisdom that comes from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic and where selfish ambition and bitter jealousy abound, there's, there's disorder in every vile practice. And so he's drawing a distinction between this wisdom whose source is earthly and unspiritual. And even he goes so far as to say demonic. And he says the fruits of this type of wisdom for selfish ambition of saying, I really want to be wiser than the next guy. 
or I really want to be wise just so people can look at me and say, oh, how wise is that person? How much does that person know or how well is that person able to discern between options? That is not all there is certainly to wisdom. This wisdom is pure in its source. It does not come from earthly places. It does not come from the places that are below. It comes from the places that are above. So it's pure in its source, but it's also pure in its focus. This is a wisdom that is primarily focused in on things that are not below. And that might remind you of a verse, of a verse over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 where Paul tells the Colossians to set your minds on things that are above. We are focused in on things not of the earth, but on things that are above. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So the wisdom that we are called to have is a wisdom that is primarily focused not on things of the earth. So we're not necessarily counted wise in God's eyes if we know about all the dealings of the earth. If we know about the latest problems or the latest issues in the headlines, that's not necessarily what makes us wise in God's eyes. Now certainly it is great and it is wise to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. But the type of wisdom that we're talking about tonight has something much deeper and much more profound. We are focused in on holy, high things. And this is why I'm convinced, and I don't know if any of you can sympathize with me tonight, and I imagine a lot of our teenagers and younger folks probably feel this way at school. It's a good thing to be in the hallways in high school or in the locker rooms, and your buddies are chattering in the latest code language about terrible things they do, and you have no clue what's going on. I can remember being in the locker room in middle school and high school, and these guys would be talking in their code language about all the, the bad things they've been doing, and I'd be embarrassed because I had no clue what they were talking about, and they'd look at me and say, I bet you don't even know what we're talking about. And I did what every kid does, right? And I said, well, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not going to tell you because I bet you don't know, and I don't want to tell you. So I, I don't know if you've been in that position or not, but that's a lot of times it doesn't feel good to be ignorant like that, but in these types of cases, our ignorance can in fact prove our wisdom. Ignorance is not something that we usually associate with wisdom. But this type of wisdom is focused in on the things that are above. And in many cases, as the one we mentioned, would be ignorant of the things of the earth. So it's pure in its source, it's pure in its focus, but it's also pure in its fruit. And I think this is at least part of the reason why wisdom is first pure. As we mentioned a moment ago, the contrast here, there's a wisdom of the earth that leads to what? That leads to disorder and every type of vile practice. And James doesn't give us a list like Paul will oftentimes and say, here are the sins of the flesh, you know them well. He says, when we have this type of wisdom or wherever this type of wisdom lives, there's going to be strife, also translated as disorder. And there's going to be every single type of vile practice. That's the fruit of that kind of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is not at all like that. It is first pure and it produces a fruit that is peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, impartial, and sincere. So as we begin this discussion, we must first take note that this wisdom is primarily, primarily pure. But then it is peaceable. And it's interesting to me that this term is not peaceful, it's peaceable. 
And certainly we would think, well, a wisdom that comes from God would fill us with peace, right? And we could spend a lot of time talking about, from Philippians 4, that peace that passes all understanding. And how we should be peaceful people filled with a certain peace that comes from the salvation that we have in God. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, that Jesus himself is our peace because he has died on the cross, thereby uh, killing the hostility that exists between us and God. So yes, we have peace with God, but this isn't exactly what James is talking about. He says that we should be peaceable. The definition of this term is simply disposed to peace, not contentious or quarrelsome. And this certainly seems to fit well with the context, considering that James has been talking about being a teacher and controlling the tongue in the preceding verses. And he actually goes on to talk about quarrels at the beginning of the next chapter. So we are called to be peaceable here. Certainly we should be peaceful as Christians, but we should also be peaceable, which denotes some type of action in between one another. Several times in the New Testament, Paul is going to plead with the Christians to be willing to find peace with one another, and not just willing to find peace, but in fact to seek out peace. In Romans chapter 12, he's going to call them to, in as much as it depends on you, as far as possible, live peaceably with everyone. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, welcome each other, but not for the intent to quarrel over opinions. In chapter 13 and verse 13, he's going to tell them to keep themselves from all quarreling and jealousy. Notice how jealousy and quarreling go together in these conversations about wisdom because person one wants to be smarter or proven smarter or proven more wise than person two. Therefore, the selfish ambition or the bitter jealousy in the heart comes to fruition when we disagree. It's not a matter of what is the truth at that point. It is a matter of, I'm not worried about the peace. I'm not worried about the unity of the body of Christ. I'm worried about making sure that I look like I'm right here. Or I'm worried about making sure that I don't lose any status as a wise Christian here. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he instructed him to tell the church not to provoke controversy by quarreling under the false pretense of wisdom. And you can read that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. And also in 2 Timothy 2.14, we don't have the time to read that tonight. But he's going to write the same thing to Titus in chapter 3 and verse 2. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, that you'll notice is also in the list of characteristics of wisdom here in James 3. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. So it is first pure, but it is also peaceable. Who among us is wise? Let us show it by our good conduct. Let Let us show it through our purity, and through our peaceableness. Now, I think we need to stop here and make a point. Yes, we should strive to be peaceable, but coming back to the comment that James makes, it's first pure, we should not be peaceable at the expense of our purity. Wisdom is first pure. So in the name of peace with one another, we can't exchange purity, whether that's the purity of ourselves, whether that's the purity of the truth of God's word, we can't say, well, I want to be united and in the name of unity, in the name of peace, I'm going to disregard the purity of the word of God. Or I'm going to disregard the purity of even myself. And I know that maybe with some of your coworkers, and especially when you're in school, whether that's high school or college, I think you have the same problem. You might want to keep the peace with some of your friends. And so in order to keep the peace, you say, well, I don't want to cause a ruckus. My friends are doing this tonight. I know I probably shouldn't go. I know I probably shouldn't be involved, but I don't want to cause a ruckus. And so we exchange our purity so that we can keep the peace. But the wisdom here is first pure. These are what you can call 
ranked or ordered values. And you can see something similar to this uh, with Walt Disney. When Walt Disney opened his parks, he told his employees that he had four ordered values, and they went in this order. Safety, courtesy, entertainment, and efficiency listed in that order. So then, efficiency was very important to Disney. Obviously, he's running a park. He's got to make his money, right? He doesn't want to waste his money. He doesn't want his employees to be wasteful with their time. He wants to be efficient. But he does not want them to be so efficient that it compromises their customers' safety, which was value number one. Value number two was courtesy. And if you've ever been to a park like that, you know that they are way over the top nice, sometimes probably too nice. Maybe you're not feeling like being so nice and they're being really nice anyway. They might drive you absolutely crazy depending on your temperament. But it's because they've had that value instilled in them from the day those parks open. But the second that you are in danger, they will drop all courtesy if it means keeping you out of danger. So courtesy is important, but it's not so necessary to be courteous if someone is in danger. What's important there is to ensure their safety. So if someone is maybe about to trip into a giant pothole somewhere in the middle of the sidewalk, the employee wouldn't necessarily maybe calmly walk over and say, Sir, I noticed you are about to step in this giant pothole. Could you please kindly reroute yourself to avoid the giant pothole? No, he might walk over, he might run over there and with his hands waving and say, Stop, 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 without any pretense of addressing him as Sir or of any other act of courtesy. He might simply, his courtesy might be actually enacted by keeping the man safe. So the items here in James chapter 3 are similar, but certainly not identical. I don't think we can say, well, they're in perfect descending order here, and this one is below this one. But the principle stands when James says it is first pure. So our primary directive here is keeping it pure. So we don't compromise our purity to be peaceable or to be gentle or to be any of the other things That are mentioned here. And as we come to the next item on the list, we'll see that the wisdom from above is meant to be gentle. It is so interesting to me that nearly every time this word gentleness is mentioned in the New Testament, it has to do with bearing with each other or correcting some kind of error. Almost every time, there's one time when it's not connected to that, and that's in Galatians chapter 5, where it's mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit. Every other time it is mentioned in some type of connection with correcting someone else of their error. In 2 Corinthians, Paul encourages them to be gentle with each other. And he uh, in fact says that's my first option really is to be gentle with you all in chapter 10 verses 1 through 2. But in verse 5 he says I'm not afraid to wield basically the authority that I have. And he will repeat that at the end of the letter. He says the gift, the authority that I have been given is for building up and not for tearing down. Paul's First option was to be gentle when he corrected people, even of doctrinal error. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, you'll see how Paul says to restore anyone who's caught in a transgression. You might have that committed to memory. You who are spiritual should restore anyone who's caught in any transgression in a spirit of gentleness. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, again, you see gentleness associated with bearing with one another. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, you see the Lord's servant is to correct error in a spirit of gentleness. So the wise among us are not necessarily those who can shout the loudest at the people who are wrong. The wise among us are those who are first pure and then peaceable, but also gentle. Continuing on the list, it is also open to reason. And this just makes a lot of good sense, doesn't it? 
Wisdom itself is open to reason. It does not consider that it has every answer because wisdom is always looking for the truth. Wisdom is not based on a set of opinions or a set of ways that we believe things or we would like things to be. It's not based on a set of traditions. It's based on the empirical truth that is the word of God. It doesn't just believe things because parents believe. It doesn't just believe things because other family members believe. It certainly doesn't believe things just because friends and acquaintances believe. It believes things because they are true. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says to let your reasonableness be known to all. Wisdom is by its very definition open to reason. But it is also full of mercy. And you'll notice how a lot of these components here, these characteristics, seem to be very useful characteristics when you are teaching or when you are in a biblical discussion with somebody. Most of these are connected in some major way throughout the New Testament to our role as teachers of other people and certainly teachers as being commissioned by God to go into all the world, being commissioned by Jesus himself to make disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this teaching is not just reserved for those of us who are ministers, for those of us who are Bible class teachers on Sundays and Wednesdays. It is a charge that is issued to all Christians, and we are called in that to be full of mercy. Uh, You know the parable of the unforgiving servant, and time does not allow us to read it tonight. A wise man is full of mercy and offers mercy because he knows that he has been given it himself. And in fact, here in the book of James, James has something to say about mercy. Let's look in chapter 2 and verse, let's start in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For you said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not commit murder. If you don't commit adultery but do murder... You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And as such, those among us who are full of mercy are those who are truly wise. But we're also full. You'll notice he says full of mercy And full of good fruits. And this reminds me of John 15 verses 8 through 9. Where Jesus tells his disciples. By this my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. And in the words preceding that. He had just finished saying. I am the vine. And you are the branches. Apart from me. You can do nothing. Apart from me. Apart from Christ. What fruit do any of us have to bear? Certainly not the fruit of Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit, what fruit do any of us have to bear? Certainly not the fruits of the Spirit that we read about in Scripture. Apart from the source of all pure wisdom, how can any of us claim to bear any sort of good fruit? So when we pray and ask for wisdom, we are also asking for God to help us be fruitful. And as Jesus says, we are asking to be fruitful and so prove that we are his disciples. Because by that, God is glorified. We're running out of time, so we'll fast forward through these final two to our conclusion, then the lesson will be yours tonight. But he also says that we, this wisdom from above is impartial. 
at the beginning of James chapter 2, you might be familiar with this. He talks at length about showing partiality to someone who comes in who might be rich and taking them to the good seat and someone who comes in might be poor and just kind of neglecting them and showing partiality to one or another. But if we look especially in verses 8 and 9 that we read a moment ago, we'll find the key of why partiality is such a big deal to James. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin. The key here, he says, you say you love your neighbor, and yet you will show preference to some and neglect the other. So the issue of partiality is actually an issue of failing to show love to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you might remember from Matthew 5 where Jesus says, if you're greeting those who greet you, basically if you're kind and you're polite to those who are kind and polite to you, what reward do you have? He said, don't even the Gentile, the tax collectors... The people that none, of, that none of you guys like, they do that. And they do that because other people are kind to them. And that is where Jesus utters the words, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The wisdom that comes from above does not show preference or partiality to a certain group of people based on how much money they make, based on the color of their skin, based on what town they live in or what side of town they live in or what school they go to or who their other buddies are. The wisdom that comes down from above is impartial because it follows the commands, the greatest commands, as Jesus called them, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, the wisdom from above is also sincere. And you can see shades of this back in verse 14 of our text for tonight in James 3. He says, if, you're, if this is not the type of wisdom you have, if you're filled with ambition and jealousy, and jealousy, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the kind of wisdom you have. Why would you boast or brag and say, I am so wise in this way when your heart is filled of nothing but selfish ambition and bitter jealousy? Wisdom from above is about the sincerity of the heart, seeking the wisdom from above for honest purposes. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. If we're going to have the wisdom from above, if we want to be wise, who among us are the ones who are wise? And we have so many well-educated, we have so many people who have spent their entire life in the Bible. Who among us? And many times I think it's easy for the rest of us who are outside of that crowd, myself included, to feel maybe insignificant. And to feel as if we ourselves are not wise and we might not ever achieve that sort of standard of wisdom. James says, who among you is wise and understanding? By your good conduct, let you show your works in the meekness of wisdom. The wise among us are those who practice purity, peaceableness, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, full of good fruits, impartial, and sincere. This is the type of wisdom that all of us, when we go to God in prayer, this is the type of wisdom. When we pray to God for wisdom, let us not be like the mother of James and John in Matthew chapter 20, who when she prays for her sons to sit at the right and left hand of the Savior, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. When we go to Christ with our requests, when we go to God through Christ with our requests, let us make sure that we know what it is we're asking for. A final point here in conclusion. In summation, this is all about being a doer of the word and not merely 
a hearer only. Not only having the knowledge in your head of Scripture, and if you truly want to have the wisdom from above, you won't just memorize the list. And it takes a little while because these words, it's a long list of words. It took a while to memorize. But if you truly want to have the wisdom that comes from above, you won't just memorize the list. You will live out every last one of these components in your life. And if this is the kind of wisdom that you're seeking for, then let us help you tonight. If you're not a part of the body of Christ, and this is a wisdom that's so different from the wisdom of the world, you will not get this type of wisdom from anywhere else. And you know that the way of Christ is better than the way of anything else that you can get on this earth. Apart from God, apart from Christ, we really have no hope in this life at all, do we? We live, we die, it's over. Nothing matters. Thanks be to God that he does exist and that he sent his son to die for every last one of us. And he's called us to live after this model of wisdom. And it's not about memorizing the model. It's about living out the model. I was speaking with Art this morning. He was telling me he was leading singing tonight and asking about songs to lead. And he gave me this wonderful quote. And that Art, I have left the final page of my notes in the pew so I don't have my conclusion. So I'm going to do the best I can to try to remember what it is you said. I'm praying it somewhere on this paper, but I'm just not seeing it. It's not about how many scriptures are applied to memory. It's about how many are applied to your life or to your way of living. And I think that so eloquently summarizes what we studied here tonight from James chapter 3. If you're in need of a savior of this type of wisdom, then won't you come tonight? There's water here behind me. What's keeping you from committing your life to him? If you're here tonight and you are caught in an iniquity, well, then why not let us exercise some wisdom? Why not let us restore you in a spirit of gentleness? Why not let us bear, you, bear your burden, help you bear your burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ? If there's anything you need tonight, we hope you'll come now as we sing together.